This is Voices of COVID-19. I'm Brian Lucas. Thanks for joining us. For frontline healthcare workers, the coronavirus pandemic creates two separate worlds, each with their own types of stress and emotion. There's the world of work, trying to help people who are critically ill, suffering from a virus that we're really still working to fully understand. And then there's the world at home, social distancing, trying to protect family and loved ones, dealing with the same isolation and uncertainty that the rest of us are struggling with every day. On top of all of this, there's an added fear that these two worlds will in some way intersect, that an encounter with a COVID patient at work could bring the virus into your home to a spouse, to a child, or to a parent. Still, healthcare workers are showing up every day ready to take on this challenge. As the case numbers continue to rise and fall, they're trying to do their part to stem the tide and help our nation get back to some semblance of normal. Today, I'm joined by Elizabeth Blankenship, a physician's assistant in Austin, Texas. Elizabeth works at a hospital in Austin where she cares for COVID-19 patients every day. Elizabeth has been existing in these dual worlds since the beginning of the pandemic. And interestingly, she says she's been able to find a sense of calm and balance through it all, and even a renewed sense of purpose. With that, I'd like to welcome Elizabeth Blankenship. Elizabeth, thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you, Brian. I'm excited to be here. The first question I have is see if you can take a look back at this pandemic a little bit. At the beginning, when you saw that the coronavirus was spreading and starting to make its way around the globe. What were you thinking and how did you process what this could be and what it could become? I think in the beginning, I was in the mindset of a non-healthcare worker. You know, you watch the news and, and you see the media reports and you just think, could it happen here? Could it spread here? And then I went to work and talk to my colleagues. And we all know that it, yes, it's coming. It's a very real thing that we need to address. And so, you know, at our institution, we had the luxury of time to prepare. We looked at what was happening and said, okay, not really if, but when it comes here, what are we going to do? And we stepped up and, and started really trying to prepare, even though there wasn't quite a lot of information yet. And then it started to make its way to the United States and then first Washington State and then really New York became, I think, this sort of moment in time where the country sat up and took notice. How were you feeling when you saw what was happening in New York? Several of my colleagues looked at New York as an opportunity to help. And that opportunity also lended itself to a way for us to get knowledge, to be per- even more prepared at our hospital. So several of my colleagues went to New York for a couple of weeks, worked in the hospitals there, and then came back and and shared their experience, which was incredible. Um, At that time, you know, the New York numbers, I think, surprised everybody because the virus spread so quickly and it overwhelmed the healthcare system. And so at our institution, we took that opportunity to try to put processes in place in case the surge came to Austin. So you had the luxury of time, but you also heard firsthand about what it can be like and sort of how it can get out of control. 
was it scary when you started to hear what was going on on the ground or was, did it just make you more determined? Like we're going to get ahead of this or how did you process that? I think it was both, honestly. At our institution, we have a very vulnerable patient population. We take care of homeless, uninsured, underinsured, undocumented patients that have long-standing chronic medical problems. These people don't have access to outpatient care. Um, They often don't show up for follow-up appointments or don't have transportation. They don't have money to pay for prescriptions. Some of our homeless patients don't have refrigerators to keep certain medications in. And so when we saw what happened and we knew we had to plan here, it was both motivating and there was this level of fear of how are we going to care for the same population of patients that are already challenging to take care of in a pandemic. What you're trying to prepare for and to manage around are some of the basic disparities and issues with the health system that we just haven't been able to fix over years and years and decades. So it's not like you can change the fact that we have disparities in our healthcare system in a matter of months. Right. You know, so, so how did you choose, like, where do you attack this? Where, how do you get prepared for your patient population when you don't have time to fix the underlying issues with the system? Exactly. It was so overwhelming because this virus is in its infancy. We have decades of knowledge about other viruses that affect humans, but you know, our, our main goal was how do we give our patients the best outcome? What can we do to increase survival rate, decrease mortality rates in these patients? And then we had to look at other factors. How do we prevent spread in the homeless population outside the hospital? How do we give patients good discharge instructions for self-isolating when they leave? So it was kind of a multifaceted approach But you're exactly right. The longstanding chronic problems in our healthcare system were just more exposed. It's one of these things that has been a long problem that is uncomfortable to talk about in healthcare, but you can't ignore them now, not not in the setting of COVID. Do you remember the first time that you cared for a COVID patient and what your mindset was like when you realized you were dealing with it? I think that... Healthcare workers have been affected in a way that that other industry workers have not. You try to provide the best care you can to your patients, but in the back of your mind, you're trying to keep yourself safe from the virus, and you don't want to bring it home and pass it on to someone that you love or someone that you know. I think for me, the first time seeing a patient, and I remember just being in awe at how fast the virus moves and how unpredictable it could be. And that was really, really significant for me because in medicine, we like to do an intervention and see a positive result. And despite our best efforts, the patients sometimes would still continue to worsen. And even though you had colleagues who had seen it in New York, I'm sure that the first time that you see it play out yourself, it's got to shake you a little bit. Definitely. I remember coming home and I'm, you know, I take my shoes off in the garage and I take my clothes off and I wash my hands and sanitize my phone. And I try to have this daily ritual that makes me feel better about decreasing the possibility of bringing it home to my family. And I remember I came home that day 
because after a while, you know, you, you would like to think that you're doing everything you can and it's probably not going to happen to you. But seeing that you start to visualize that being one of your family members or friends, and it, it can be overwhelming the fear of that happening to someone that you know. On the job, when you're having to change your practices and put on the PPE and take different precautions, how did you adapt to that? Because I've, I've spoken with people who said all of a sudden you have layers between you and your patients and the things that allow you to connect with patients are taken away from you. Have you had that feeling and that experience? And, and how have you dealt with sort of the, the new practices that are required to deal with the COVID patient? Pre-COVID, I could sit down, I could sit on the edge of the bed, I could talk with my patient, I could go in the room as many times as I wanted. Things were definitely different now. But one thing I did when I go in the rooms is I make sure to hold their hands when I speak with them. It's something simple, but because they're not allowed visitors, unless there's certain circumstances, such as an end-of-life situation, they can be alone more than ever in those rooms. So I, I make sure to hold their hands while I talk to them. We try to do conference calls with family members, with the patients on the phone. And a lot of times the translator's on the phone too, because we have a large Hispanic population. I try my best to bring some type of human component and make it as bearable as I can for the patients. It seems that isolation is the underlying current of this time. And I think in the healthcare setting, it's, it's amplified. I mean, you know, we're all practicing social distancing. We're not seeing our friends, but in the healthcare setting, it's a whole nother world in terms of isolation of you and your coworkers, you and your patients, your patients and their families. What effect does isolation have in a healthcare setting? I think for the patients, a lot of them are afraid, but they also don't feel well. They're short of breath. You know, at, at some points they, they don't get out of bed because their oxygen will will decrease to the point that it, it could be dangerous. Um, but what I see, what what's evolving over time is when I have these patients for several days or even a week, they start to know the routine. Instead of going in and out of the rooms and, and you know, we have to preserve PPE, things like that we will call and, and, and see each other through the window. And, you know, sometimes, you know, they'll, they'll do thumbs up, they'll wave. You can see the expression on their faces that they're just, just happy to see and, and talk to someone in any form. But I've seen patients, they have a lot of time on their hands and it gets very emotional for them. When you have that much time to think through your life and through your world, a lot of them have lost their jobs. A lot of them have other stressors, you know, even before COVID, like, like us all. But a lot of them also become very emotional because they think through things. They're talking on the phone more to ever than family members they may have not spoken to, friends that call them. So why I think that there's a downside to isolation, I think that there is possibly an upside where you do have all the external distractors taken away from you. And I think in this, this digital world that we have, where we're always distracted by our phones, computer, social media, I think there might be a silver lining for some. So in addition to dealing with this at work, 
you're like the rest of us in that you have a life outside of work. It's just that your work brings you more in in contact with the pandemic. How do you deal with the pressures at home and in the rest of your life as you deal with these pressures at work? So my parents are are near 80 and my mom has high blood pressure, diabetes. My dad has metastatic colon cancer and, and he's on chemo pretty much just palliative chemo. It's not curative. It's just to, to slow the spread. But despite everything, my dad works full time at one of the resort hotels. He's currently furloughed. They mow their own grass. They do all their household chores. So last week, my dad trimmed a tree with a chainsaw while my mom safely held the ladder. And, you know, they just replaced part of their fence. And they have been blue collar workers their whole lives, resilient, tough, Um, and so on one hand, I'm like, you know what, if you use a chainsaw on a tree, just don't tell me, (laughs) just, I don't want to hear about your adventures. But when all this happened, you know, everybody was so scared. It was, you know, nobody, nobody see anybody, you know, stay at home, keep away from each other. But over time, I've learned that my parents will not do that because it means taking their independence away. My mom is one of those people who knows everyone at the gas station where she buys her lottery tickets and everyone at the grocery store. And going out is a social experience for her. So this has been really difficult. And I've sat down with them several times and said, look, please, please don't go, you know, to Home Depot eight times this week, or please just try to stay out at the stores. And and they're careful. They wear their masks and wash their hands and, and try to stay apart from people. But they've both told me that, living in fear is not an option for them and that they don't want to live without seeing me or seeing, you know, their grandsons and that they're going to be as safe as possible, but they're not going to isolate completely. And over time, I've come to accept that. Again, when I go to work and I see what this virus can do, it reignites that fear inside of me. But I think, you know, we've seen patients and their family who tried to keep each other safe and didn't see each other for months, and the family member got it anyway, and now they're in the hospital alone. So I think it's a balance of just trying to be smart and safe, but still maintaining that independence and and somewhat of a connection with your family. As we get through this, maybe those are the things that will help us long term is if we accept how individually we need to get through it. Let's do it the best way that we can, but make it work for ourselves. Because in some ways, I think that second wave was a result of people trying to crack down in a way that just was not sustainable for them. And then as soon as they could let their guard down, they did. And then this is what happened. And maybe we just need to settle into this. Here's how I get through safely. And I am going to mask and I am going to do the really the necessary things, but I'm also going to make it work in my life. Since we don't know what the finish line is, maybe that's a better long-term strategy. I think that's a great summary. I mean, there's only so many weeks and months that you can maintain that diligence right and and exactly like you said people got to a point that they got tired of being afraid and then the second wave hit so i i do think that that there's there's a compromise like you said what is your acceptable risk and and that's how i view things now and it's an acceptable risk for my parents and and myself to see each other 
with a mask outside at their home. We all know the risk, but we accept it because um, the alternative of not seeing each other is not okay. What about the perspective as a mother of two teenage boys with your backdrop of understanding as a healthcare provider? How has it been trying to wear the, the hat of a parent during this time? Luckily, after five months, my boys have done well and they have, they're both still alive and they still somewhat like each other, um, which is saying a lot. Um, it's, it's hard. It's hard to tell them to go outside in Texas when the mosquitoes are really hungry this year. Um, and it's hard to limit screen time. I mean, that's the, the main way they communicate with their friends. And so um, my husband is a video game animator and he's been working from home, you know, during the pandemic, trying to parent in the background where I get to escape to work. You know, all the all the plans changed. But um, like everyone else, you know, we play board games and we take walks and we cook together and we do all these things that we never really made time to do before. So again, talking about the silver lining and the positive side, I think that we've grown closer as a family in many ways and had new experiences that we would have never had before because of, you know, we were all so busy and and so distracted with what used to be normal life. So as we talk, I mean, I'm struck that you seem to have a really good perspective on a lot of this and you seem to have been able to process this. How are you holding up? I mean, how, what keeps you on this mentality when there's a lot of emotion that's happening? How are you holding up? I think for a long time, I didn't think about myself. It was really consuming with work and and thinking about everyone else. I just went into this mode, kind of a survival mode. We have a joke at work that we have to lose the COVID-19 that we put on because everybody, you know, stress ate and everybody was trying to find a way to cope through this pandemic. I think just going on and on and on and, and putting myself into my work was an escape. You know, sleep was hard. It's still hard. You, I multitask during the day and things get quiet at night. Um, and then, then that's when thoughts and fears pop into my head. And it, it feels really strange to be happy during a pandemic. Um, I, I feel that I'm not supposed to be happy when there's so many bad things going on in the world and and people are losing their fight with this virus and people are losing their jobs. And it, it was a struggle. But recently I realized that I can only control so much. and. The best thing I can do is to try to, to have a positive impact every day and that it's, it's okay to be happy. Before this, we, we all knew that life is precious and that we should enjoy each day. But I think that that's taken on a much deeper meaning now, um, especially when I go to work and I risk exposure to the virus every day that I'm at work. But it's okay for me to be happy. And I had to learn to turn off the news and stop watching the numbers climb. And and I had to limit myself from that stress. I say I love you to people I've never said it to before. And, and 
those words seem to flow more freely now between family and friends. I was driving to work the other day and I was singing. And in that moment, I stopped because I was relaxed and I was happy and life felt normal. And I was like, no, I I can't be happy. I can't be relaxed. Life is not normal. Things are terrible. The world is ending, you know. But then I stopped and I was like, no, it's it's okay. It's okay to be happy. And I actually started singing louder, which, you know, you can ask my boys. They're they're probably really glad they weren't in the car. But, but there's there's kind of this sense of calm that has come over me that we are truly doing the best we can and that this is the new normal and you have to learn to find peace in that new normal. Looking forward, are there are there elements of this that you hope that you and our society on a greater level will bring out of this long term? What are the silver linings that you hope may happen post-COVID? Oh, there's so many. When I talk to my boys about the pandemic, I think it's hard to know if, if kids are okay, right? They They cope in their own way. I think that what we wished for as a family is that we don't go back to constantly being busy, that we still take time to do all the things that we've done together during this pandemic um, that have been incredible cooking and and dance parties and board games and and things like that. Um, I now go to my parents' house every week and we social distance outside with our mask and have a drink and talk. And that's something that we never did before. And I think it was so easy to be too busy before all this, too busy to make time to do things that really matter. As far as the healthcare system, it's it's been broken for a long time. So at work, there's this renewed hope that our society can't ignore our broken healthcare system and that we have to fix so many things about it. Social economic gaps in access to care, affordability, so many things um, that have come out of this that I, that I hope that we can't ignore and that we are forced to fix. There's a lot to do. And, and I think as a society that we've, this is, this made us look at, at the way that we live in, in several ways, um, and I hope that we are better for it at the end. Well, I share your hope for that as well, and I hope that you continue to make your way through this and stay safe and keep the perspective that you shared with us today. I, I really appreciate it, and good luck going forward. Thank you, Brian. Thanks for having me. Voices of COVID-19 is an attempt to document the thoughts and feelings of people who are perhaps outside the limelight to get personal reflections on how a pandemic impacts all of our lives. If you know of someone who might make a good guest on this podcast, please send them to me at brian at truevoicecommunications.com. Thanks for listening. Stay safe and stay separate and wear a mask and we'll get through this together.